Hi, everybody. Thank you for joining me here on the Bare Bones Yoga Podcast, Conversations for Yoga Teachers. My name is Karen Fabian. I'm the founder of Bare Bones Yoga. I'm a yoga teacher and educator, and my goal here is to provide you, the yoga teacher, and other listeners with interesting, compelling content designed to pique your interest in teaching help you grow as a teacher, and support you on your path to sharing this wonderful practice with your students. I've been teaching for over 14 years, and through my classes, workshops, online courses, books, and other content, I focus on the anatomy of yoga and how teachers can learn this complex subject and present it to their students in an understandable way, all designed to help them bring more impact to their teaching. Even though we're not in the same room, I want you to envision for each episode that we've sat down for tea in a cozy coffee shop. Some days we'll talk about technical teaching topics, while some days we might have a teacher friend join in on the conversation, and other days we'll face some of the personal challenges that can come up when we take on the journey of being a teacher, knowing that the more authentic we can be, the more we can impact others. For more information about my products and programs and to contact me at any time, just visit my website at barebonesyoga.com. Let's get into today's episode. Well, hello everybody. This is Karen Fabian, founder of Bare Bones Yoga, and I'm really glad that you're here with me today. Today is a special episode. If you've been a regular listener, you have probably caught a number of my most recent episodes, which have been uh, episodes where I interview new yoga teachers. And I have just been so thrilled with their openness, so inspired by all of what they have shared. And so if you've missed some of those, definitely go back and check some of those out. I had put out a request for teachers to volunteer to be on the podcast if they had been, if they are new to teaching. And I just was um, really psyched about the response I got. And so there have been a number of episodes that are in that vein. And I, I really think that you'll, you'll get a lot out of hearing what other teachers are um, facing, uh, are dealing with, are working through all of those things. It's just a big part of our teaching are a lot of these themes, but yet we don't really have a forum to discuss them in. And so even though this podcast is just something you're listening to, uh, I hope that when you listen to these episodes, um, thoughts come, uh, come forth for you and that you can relate to some of these things uh, that you're hearing. I would definitely love to hear how some of these episodes have touched you, have impacted you. So please, please send me an email or comment or send me a DM on Instagram. Just let me know what your thoughts are. So today, what I wanted to do today as I'm recording this, it's November 18th, 2019. And I'm getting ready in the next couple of hours to launch a new offer for yoga teachers. And this offer uh, really came out of a number of requests I got in my anatomy work group to create a yoga sequence uh, specifically for beginners. And over the past few months, I've um, launched a couple of different offers that have been audio classes. And so they're really easy to consume, really easy to practice to, really easy to learn from. One was on anatomy and was a meditation, a body scan, and one was a general yoga sequence. 
So when teachers in the Facebook group said, hey, we really would like to learn more about how to teach to beginners, I thought that would be another really great topic for this kind of um, format to, to learn. So what today's episode is gonna be about are tips for teaching beginners. And all of these tips that you're gonna hear me go through are in a free PDF guide that you will get when you download, when you purchase and download the audio class, which is the sequence to teach beginners. And I'll tell you a little bit more about how you get this offer uh, at the end of the podcast. Um, today, what I'm going to be going over, as I said, is the PDF that goes through the tips for teaching beginners. And I'm doing this because number one, I want you to have the audio around it. Number two, I want to be able to walk you through um, these tips. So it's more than just getting the PDF when you purchase the class. And number three, I think this particular topic as requested by teachers is just a popular one uh, that comes up a lot, you know, especially in the context of how do I teach beginners when they're mixed in with more experienced people in my classes? So I'm just going to literally go over this PDF here um, as I'm looking at it and kind of bring it to life. But again, remember that getting this PDF is part of the offer I'll share with you at the end for the audio class that goes with it as well. So the first thing is, um, you know, for teachers, it can be helpful for us to change up a few things when we work with beginners. So just some general tips to keep in mind. When you notice, maybe you're at the front desk or you overhear a new student arriving and talking to the person at the front desk, if that's a different person than you, um, keep in mind that oftentimes when they first step into the studio itself, they can be nervous, it can be kind of overwhelming, it can certainly be unfamiliar as to where to go. So if you can, show the student where to set up in class and grab some props for them. You know, they normally don't know what kind of props to take and often place their mat in the last row. I actually had a new student yesterday who I suggested he place his mat in a particular part of the room, which was the second to last row. And he said to me, what about there? And he pointed to the furthest, furthest back part of the room, which I don't really love beginners to be there because it's so far in the back that if it's a larger class, um, it's hard for them to see. But that's just another illustration of people's disposition when they're new is that they're going to want to be way, way in the back. And while you don't want them right in the front, because it's kind of hard for them to get a good perspective on what's happening because they can't see anybody in front of them, you don't want them to be all the way in the back. So it'll be great for them if you can kind of walk them in the room and um, just show them kind of where to put their mat and, you know, grab some props for them so they're all set up. And make sure that, you know, they have a, obviously a mat, um, but let them know that uh, towel and water are two things that, that they, can, um, they can include as well. And uh, make sure, you know, as much as you can, you have that conversation with them before they begin. Sometimes students don't think they need a towel and they start and then halfway through they're really sweaty. And I can tell that it's getting in the way of them not slipping. Um, so I go grab a towel and just place it at their mat in case they want to use it. So when it comes to teaching beginners, it can be helpful to keep a few things in mind. 
The first thing is to use short action-oriented phrases, things like press your heel, bring your feet together, turn from the rib cage, anything that's really short. I almost think of it like, um, I think there's, I don't know if it's in, I think it's in poetry, that whole idea of iambic pentameter. And to be perfectly honest with you, I don't, honest with you, I don't actually remember the literal definition of it, but I remember it's kind of this, right? It's like this kind of, rhythm of talking that allows you to, um, when you're hearing the content, it's in short phrases. And this can be helpful for new students. I would also add that it can be helpful for all students because it's really devoid of excess stuff. It's really just the heart of the matter stuff that they need to know. And usually when you're teaching in that way, your cues are going to be in chunks of three or four words and that's usually it. So in the examples I gave you, press your heel, bring your feet together, turn from the rib cage. Those are just super specific, super clear, very understandable, action oriented, and not very long. Those phrases are short. So keep that in mind when you're working with beginners. The other thing I would suggest is to refrain from using Sanskrit or at least provide the pose name in English first. It's great if you want to add the Sanskrit in. It's a lovely language and I think it obviously honors the heritage of yoga. I think it is difficult if you lead with those terms for people to know what you're talking about. And that's really regardless of experience. So maybe start out with the English and then add the Sanskrit so they can start to hear it in that partnered way and they'll know exactly what you want them to do. And then once they're doing it, they'll learn the Sanskrit word for the posture. Uh, the next one is, is, you know, pretty obvious is to offer as many modifications as possible. So this is going to be thing. These will be things like bring your knee down, uh, take a child's pose. If you need to bend your knees in a forward fold, um, uh, bring your hand to your hip. This is kind of a less common one, but if you can imagine people in twisting poses like twisting crescent or twisting chair. And when they have a lot of tightness in the external rotators of their shoulders, you'll see them try to reach their arm up in the twist and they're really turning that upper shoulder in. So if you can shorten that lever, meaning the arm, and just have them put their hand on their hip, it can really help them focus on turning from the joint. And this can really get more of that external rotation happening without all that straining that happens when the arm is straight and they're really just trying to push their upper hand back. And that point, their hand is way too far away from where the action is. The action is occurring at the joint itself, which is the shoulder joint. So if you shorten that lever by having them bring their hand to their hip, they can really focus on the rotation from the shoulder joint. Uh, another thing is to start them in child's pose or to or do child's pose early on and let them know that this is where they want to be if they want to take a break. Now, I will definitely support that and I do definitely support that. One thing though that I really use in almost 85 to 95% of my classes is I start people on their back. And I do that because most of the time they've been hunched over their phones and computers all day, that if I start them in child's pose, that's just going to repeat that same pattern. And so I'll have them on the back and uh, then I can do some initial things like some easy twists and maybe a bridge pose, maybe Supta Konasana, soles of the feet together, to just give them an opportunity to catch their breath from the busyness of their day and then connect to their breath 
create some pranayama breathing patterns. And uh, so that's an idea. The other um, posture that I use oftentimes uh, in terms of rest and telling students this is a good one to use throughout the practice if you get tired is a forward fold. Now for newer students, they may not remember or know the importance of bending the knees a little bit if the hamstrings are a little tight. But you can just, if you're looking out into the room and you see a number of people in that first forward fold and you notice that their back is rounding and they're very far away from the floor, you could show them or you could cue them to bend the knees a little bit and fold a little deeper from the hips versus from the back. And when I have them do a forward fold, sometimes I'll say, hey, this is a good pose to do if you find as we're moving around, you're getting a little overwhelmed. This is a good kind of resting spot rather than going all the way down to child's pose. But that's you know completely up to you and what you want to do in the moment. Now, the next one I'm going to say is probably going to push your buttons a little bit if you're someone that does this. And again, I'm not saying I'm right. I'm just suggesting this as an approach. Um, and so the suggestion is to refrain from using your own mat in front of the room, or if you do, place your mat facing the class rather than sideways. This will allow you to always see the students. Now, I've definitely heard from yoga teachers in my Facebook group who always practice with their class, and they insist to me um, that this is absolutely necessary because their students are visual learners. And I totally understand that. I know that there are students that are visual learners over auditory learners. The one thing though that I would say, if you're listening and you're one of those teachers that always practices everything with their class is number one, that's extremely tiring for you as a teacher. Uh, and for the longevity of you as a teacher, it would be really helpful if you would cut back, especially if you're teaching every day on some of, on some of the practice yourself. Number two, it's really hard for you to see your students when you're moving around all the time. And one of our biggest impacts to our students is our ability to see them clearly and change up what we're saying so that it can be most helpful. The next thing to think about is that even for students who are visual learners, right? Let's take the example of if you had a mirror in class, which unless it's a Bikram style class, most teachers would probably not want mirrors on the walls in their class. And the reason is because it really takes the student out of the somatic experience. It takes the student out of their body and starts to put them in, put them in that judgment mode and put them in that mode of looking at things from a critical perspective. Now, even if they're not doing that, and let's just say they're looking at themselves from the perspective of alignment. So certainly if you go to the gym, there are mirrors there and you know, that's, that's kind of part and parcel with going to the gym is to look at yourself and, and catch those alignment issues as they come up. But yoga is a little different. We want people to turn inward. It's part of the whole eight limbs of yoga process. And we also want students who are uh, visual learners only to learn how to learn <laughs> Uh, from from listening, from, from auditory cues. And so for teachers who are insisting that their students are visual learners and there's no way that they can learn any other way, I would highly encourage you, not only for them, but for yourself to try it out. And it, maybe what that means is you're not doing sun salutations. Maybe what that means is you're just demonstrating a couple of poses. Certainly in class, I do a couple of things, but I really, really try and after 15 years of teaching, I can absolutely tell you that I have cervical spine issues from constantly practicing 
even just a little bit with my classes. So I don't want to go into this too, too much. And if this really is pushing your buttons and you're insisting that the only way for you to do it is to practice with your students, um, go ahead. You know, the other thing I'm going to add is keep in mind that if you are practicing with your students all the time, they're getting dependent on you doing it with them. And so again, that's creating a little bit of a relationship between you and the class where they're just expecting you to do it. And so part of what may be helpful for them in their practice is for you to step aside and to set them free to feel it in their own bodies the way they do and to use your auditory cues um, to help them move through the practice. So that's, you know, especially with beginners going to be really important because you really need to see them. You need to be able to adjust your cues. Um, you may in the beginning of your class do a little bit with them to kind of set them up with common things like moving from high to low push up or down dog or forward fold warriors. But for the most part, my suggestion would be that you're walking around, you're looking at them, you're not practicing. Uh, another thing is to think about <clears throat> keeping the sequence fundamental and trying to kind of refrain from linking more than two or three poses together. So for instance, if you do crescent lunge, maybe you'll add in a side plank, but then you'll move to the other side. Because as soon as you add from there two or three more things, they're on that one side of their body a lot, a lot, a lot. And that can get exhausting. And it can get exhausting not only physically, but also kind of mentally and just the nervous system, just this idea of constantly being on that one side of the body. So think about, this comes up a lot of times with balances. You'll have them in tree, you'll take them into dancers, you'll take them into, you know, uh, hand to big toe pose from standing. You know, so rather than getting, um, super enthusiastic about linking a bunch of things together when they're on one leg, think about chunking it out so that they're really doing one or two things on one side and then switching to the other. The other thing to consider is give them multiple times to rest during class. So whatever that looks like, if you're going to do child's pose, if you're going to do a forward fold, just like literally stop the class and encourage them to rest rather than rather than thinking that people are going to have the wherewithal within themselves to stop and do it on their own. Just, just do it. Just call it out. We're going to rest. And you'll know the times, you know, that, that are appropriate. You'll kind of sense as people are moving around, they need a break. And that's a good time, obviously, to do it. Um, another thing is to consider starting with crescent lunge, a knee down lunge, or even warrior two versus Sun salutations with warrior one. Warrior one tends to be a little harder for people versus a knee down lunge, crescent lunge, or warrior two. And that tends to be because the requirement in warrior one to center the hips with both feet down, if they have tight hip flexors can be pretty tough. Warrior two, even though it's still a hip and extension, a hip inflection, because it's open to the side, it tends to be a little more freeing for people and a little easier for them to do. And then even further, crescent lunge, even though the back heel is up, if you teach it uh, with the back knee down or just really ensure they have a wide stance, because the back heel is up, they're gonna have a lot more freedom through the center of the body to center their hips, rather than in warrior one when the back heel is planted. So think about in those first few movements, rather than right into traditional sun, uh, sun B, just 
insert something else maybe for two rounds and then move on with warrior one. Um, another thing to think about, and this again might be something a little controversial, is this idea of, you know, we definitely want to bring pranayama and the focus of breath into class. But for beginners, it can be hard to focus on the breath when there's so much struggle in each pose. So think about balancing it out in terms of giving them what they need to get their posture steady. So speaking to action cues, speaking to alignment cues, getting them in the physical shape of the pose, and then cueing them to the breath. Because I can assure you, and if you think back to your first couple of yoga classes, being in downward dog with someone constantly cueing you to the breath can be really frustrating because your physical experience in that pose is it's really, really hard. And without a teacher cueing you as to the right action to take, cueing you to the breath really isn't very helpful. And in fact, is probably more frustrating than not. So give them the action cues they need, get them in a position where they're steady, and then add the breath cues. And that definitely um, holds true for, uh, for beginners. Another thing is, um, if you are providing assists in your class, and if you do that, um, you know, I would definitely encourage you to let the students know before class that you are going to be giving assists every once in a while. And if they do not want to be assisted, they can just let you know when you come by, or if you're working in a studio where there are chips or some other indicators for students. Or you can do another thing I've seen where you have them come into child's pose in the beginning, and because no one can see each student, just have them raise a hand if they don't want to be assisted. Um, if you do assist, just keep in mind, focus on directive assists rather than anything that's going to be deepening, which I don't even really suggest anymore anytime. Um, so just kind of think about you're guiding people with your hand into alignment, and that's pretty much your role. You're not really trying to deepen things or, or any of that. Um, so the last couple here. So this, this next one is, um, you know, one of the more challenging parts of the sequence is moving from high to low push-up, And especially for beginners, it can be helpful to give them some alternate ways to do that. So you could have them drop their knees. You probably know this one moving, uh, when they're in high push-up, put their knees down lower halfway from there, or you can also have them lower all the way to the ground, but do it slow and with control. And by with control, what I mean is have everything lower together. And this is where it can be really hard for newer students to keep everything lowering at the same time, rather than letting their belly drop first and or their head drop. So those are two modifications you can suggest. The other thing to think about is just not to do as many high to low push-ups. I know teachers commented in the Facebook group that they hardly do any of those. They move people from plank to down dog or throughout the practice, they really delete a number of those full, um, those full vinyasa flow pieces. So you'll know when you're looking at your students, if it feels like they're getting overtired or if you just see really sloppy alignment if you don't stop the class to break it down, just start to take things away and just make the movements more fundamental. They're going to get plenty of benefit from the practice without doing all the low push-ups for sure. Uh, the next one is, 
explain the use of props so it's clear why you're asking them to use a blocker strap. So in things like when you have the fingers interlaced behind the back and you're asking students to squeeze their shoulder blades together, further explain that this action can be tough if the pectoral muscles in the front of the body are tight. So you can show them with a strap how you would use it and explain that the extra length can compensate and help to get the contraction of the muscles. Here we're talking about the rhomboids, the contraction of those muscles to draw the shoulder blades close together. So that's your scapula, scapular adduction. And this will really help seal in the reason for using the strap rather than having the student wonder why they're using it. And that's a learning that they'll take with them for the rest of their life uh, when they practice. Definitely, definitely make sure you provide a full five minutes for rest at the end. I know as a newer teacher, I was always so nervous and flustered that I oftentimes skimped on Shavasana. So don't do that, especially if they're newer, they're going to really, really need um, that time to rest. And then stick around, you know, beginning yoga students have questions, but they're often, you know, kind of maybe feel uncomfortable about asking. So just kind of hang out like at the front desk or in the studio. Um, I'm not always one to like go up to somebody and be like, so how was it? You know, I usually like them to at least initiate a little bit of movement towards me um, and, you know, appear like they do have something to ask. Um, and you may be different. You may be the kind of person that definitely seeks out uh, feedback from students, uh, especially those who came to your class who you knew were new and, you know, maybe you greeted them at the beginning of class. So you're going to find your own way in regards to that. Um, but just at a minimum, just stick around. Don't be so quick to, you know, get on your coat and take your bag and leave the studio. Just kind of hang out. And you'd be surprised sometimes after people have filed out of the studio, one of the folks will come up to you and say, hey, can I just ask you a quick question? And that's fantastic. I, lo I really love when that happens. So one thing I want to go over before we close today is just this idea of um, if you have a class that has some beginners, but some more practice students, because this comes up a lot. So the first thing I'm going to tell you is remember that your job as a yoga teacher is not, it's going to sound kind of funny, but it's not to entertain your students, right? You don't need to make it fancy. You don't need to make it hard. You don't need to make it anything because you know, as part of your role. Your role as yoga teacher is to present the practice. And for someone in your class who's more experienced and someone in your class who is more, uh, who is newer to the practice, if a more experienced student, you know, maybe says something to you after class, like, hey, that wasn't really hard, or you're watching them as you're teaching and they're taking different variations to kind of um, you know, increase the difficulty level of a particular posture. Um, that's fine. That's on them, right? You can certainly do different things to kind of make a class with that kind of situation a little more doable for everybody. But I just want to kind of throw that out at the beginning. You know, I, if a student comes up to me after class and says, hey, that wasn't really hard, that to me um, that to me is a statement from someone who's looking to me to, and looking to yoga really as a hard thing or an easy thing. And, and to me, that's really, that's really something that is kind of a newer student's perception of the practice. When you're more practiced as a practitioner, 
you appreciate, and one of the most profound things about yoga is it is hard in its simplicity, right? The challenge to yoga isn't from the fancy postures. The challenge to yoga or in yoga, contained in yoga, is oftentimes from the most fundamental things, the breath, the alignment, the staying focused, um, you know, just the basic postures, holding them a little longer. There's plenty of things that you can do as a teacher in a mixed class to make it challenging for everyone. And when a student comes up to me and says, hey, that wasn't really hard, why were you just teaching to the beginners? I haven't had anybody say that literally, but I've certainly had people say things where I know that's the implication. I really just kind of brush that off. I mean, I'll comment back and maybe say something, but that to me is a comment from someone who's really looking at the practice in a way where I'm trying to encourage them to really embrace the challenge of the practice in its simplicity, rather than looking to me to kind of make it harder, that kind of thing. Um, now, having said that, there are definitely some situations where you might have somebody in class who, you know, you can tell they, they are definitely a beginner. And um, maybe there's a couple of beginners and then maybe there's 10 other people who are definitely more practiced. And so some general things you can do is just start your class out teaching to those beginners. So give kind of more of the pose breakdown, give a slower pace, do things in such a way where you're encouraging people to rest. Like imagine you're teaching beginners only and include that increased support at the start. And then once you supplement the beginning of the class with that kind of content, then kind of let it go and teach your general all levels sequence because you've given on the front end support to those newer students and then you're kind of letting it go so that everybody is flowing together, whatever that looks like. You know, a perfect example, I had someone in class recently, an older person who my guess was 75, maybe even 80 years old. And quite frankly, that person would have benefited from a one-on-one -on -one session, but I obviously couldn't do that. There were 15 other people in the class. So I gave that person more support by popping over every once in a while, showing them how to use blocks. Um, and made a couple of just verbal assists to that person directly. But other than that, I just kind of let that person be, uh, knowing that I couldn't really give that person the true support they needed in that moment because there were a lot of other people there. But I could do some one-on-one -on -one things with this student uh, as I could, as I could uh, which is what I did. And so keep in mind, if you have those mixed classes, uh, you can give more front-end support to everybody with your verbal cues and then just kind of let it happen, right? As long as the person's not doing something where they're going to hurt themselves, then it's fine, right? They're still going to get a lot of benefit out of the class. You can do some other things, like if you do notice the Sun Salutation series is really challenging for the newer folks in class, even though the other folks are kind of, you know, doing it with ease. You can think about peppering your sequence with more balances throughout the class. So that'll relieve students of the requirement to, you know, really be on their arms a lot in the front end of the sequence. So, you know, in a typical vinyasa sequence, I'd say the first 30%, maybe even 40% is 
poses where their hands are on the ground. And so this is where for a lot of new students, it's really challenging. So if you add in some balances in the front end of the class, it'll get them upright, working in concert with gravity, give them, uh, give their arms and their wrists a break. You can also do, instead of that, you can do things close to the ground. So maybe you throw in some low lunges, some variations of low lunge, so that cuts the vinyasa part and gets them, you know, some stretching benefits, um, but gives their arms and their wrists a break. So I'm gonna end here. That is just kind of an encapsulation of tips for working with beginners. Now, in closing, I wanna let you know how you can get this audio because this is really gonna pull it all together for you. So the audio is a 60 minute sequence for beginners and it has a little intro at the beginning uh, that gives you some general tips. And then when you, um, when you get the audio, you're also gonna get the PDF that contains the tips that I just shared. And of course, you'll have this podcast. So altogether, this is gonna be a really great package for you. And I want you to think about this. You know, if you're a yoga teacher out there and you're thinking, oh, how much is this? Oh, I don't have the money. Oh, I don't have the time, all this kind of stuff. I want you, I wanna really encourage you to think about all the things you're doing right now all the time that are impeding on your time and maybe even money, right? Maybe you're taking trainings in person looking for information like this. Maybe you're researching on the internet or reading books or doing all sorts of things in your day-to-day -day, uh, life as a yoga teacher, right? And so here, this is an opportunity to make a really small investment in something that's going to save you time. And the really nice thing about investing in any of my tools is it means that you always have access to it right? And it's all in one place. So rather than what most yoga teachers have, which is kind of their own system of books and videos and websites they go to and notebooks and spreadsheets and all of whatever it is. Now, when it comes to teaching beginners, you're going to have one place to go for a whole bunch of information between the class audio, the PDF, and this podcast. So it's much more efficient. It's much more respecting your time. It's giving you all sorts of extra time. I mean, I don't need to go over it anymore. I think you know the gist. I just wanna encourage you to keep an open mind because many times I talk to teachers and when they hear about spending money, they immediately shut down. Oh, I don't have the time for that. Oh, I don't have the, I don't have the money. And in many ways, they're saying no, but in reality, they're spending all sorts of time doing all these other things. And for some reason, it doesn't seem to hit them that all that time that they're spending is essentially money and time, right? And so when you have an opportunity to do something that's gonna actually give you the literal stuff that you need because you're looking it up anyway, why wouldn't you invest in that? That's just kind of a mindset to think about. So the offer itself is $19.99. And with that, you'll get the audio class, you'll get the PDF, and obviously this podcast is free and it's out there on, online for anybody to hear. To get the offer, to, to purchase this, this audio class, um, it's not on my website. So it's going to be something that is only available for a week. So it's going to be available from today, the 18th, of November 2019 through the 24th. I'll be posting the link to the offer 
on all of my social media pages. So the best way to get it is go there. Go to Bare Bones Yoga on Instagram, Bare Bones Yoga Facebook page. If you're in my Bare Bones Yoga Anatomy work group, it'll be posted there. Or, you know, if you want it to be super easy, just go on Instagram and DM me and I'll send you the link. Or just go to my website, barebonesyoga.com, and just send me an email and I'll send you the link. So it's super easy, guys. It's not going to be complicated for you to get it. You don't have to, you know, go searching for it. If you don't want to take the time to, to look for it on one of these pages, just pull up Bare Bones Yoga and DM me. And you can do that on Facebook or Instagram or just send me an email. So I hope you've enjoyed this episode. I love, love hearing from you about the podcast. So when you're listening to the podcast, can you take a picture of you listening? And I don't necessarily mean a picture of you. You could, if you want, of course. Um, you could also just take a screenshot of you listening on your phone, if that's where you're listening. And then just email me that or post that. You can use that as a way to just let me know you're listening. And I would love to hear any thoughts you have about anything that I've shared. So thank you so, so much for listening and I'll see you on the next episode.